Well, good morning, everybody. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, I should remain standing just while we read the text here this morning. Genesis 37. I hope you'll be okay with this. You're my beta group this morning because you're, you're not supposed to preach a new message when you go someplace else. At least that's what they say, whoever they is. Um, but uh, you're, you're, you're the newbies today. You're the guinea pigs, so we'll see how this goes. And if, uh, if it doesn't go well, I'll, I'll file it in the don't preach again file, okay? At Genesis 37, I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. I'm going to ask you to follow along as I read where the Bible says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. I wouldn't advise loving one of your children more than the other ones, by the way. Uh, verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now go over to chapter 41. Chapter 41. I begin reading in verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Let's have a word of prayer and you can be seated. Our Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. But before we thank you for what you've done, Lord, we want to stop to praise you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness, your patience. Lord, thank you for your, the gift of salvation. Thank you for your son. And Father, I do pray that as we open up your word today, that you'd quiet our hearts, that you'd remove distractions. Lord, there may be tests and quizzes. There may be PT projects that need to get started. But Father, I pray for the next several minutes, you'd quiet our hearts, that you'd help us to anticipate great things from your word. Lord, help us to give you our undivided attention. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the things that is pretty unique about the college experience is that uh, many people would refer to it as the culmination of preparation. And we've been preparing all of our lives to do exactly what God wants us to do. And now we're in college. And this is it. No more preparation after college, right? No more. We know it all and we're good to go. Well, that is not the case, by the way. The season of preparation, man, it, it, uh, it actually is a lifelong endeavor. It just continues. And preparation's important. Hopefully you got up this morning and decided to prepare for the day by maybe taking a shower, hopefully, by maybe putting on some deodorant, I'd advise that, by brushing your teeth, that'd be a good thing. Preparation's a necessary thing that we experience every single day. I have a nine-year-old son. I've got four kids. My daughter Morgan's a senior in high school. She's here with me today. I'm not trying to embarrass you, sweetie, but she's looking at West Coast Baptist College as potentially a place where the Lord would have her to come. So you guys, no, no not guys, you girls, <laughs> you go over there and tell her all the wonderful things about West Coast Baptist College. You guys, stay away from her, <laughs> at least for now. 
Um, but I'm so thankful for her. I've got another daughter named Taylor. She's 14. I've got another daughter named Ray. She's six. And then I've got a son, one son. I uh, told my wife that if I ever write a book about parenting, there's going to be a little clause that says, this does not apply to sons because I don't know how to do that. Um, I've got one son, named, one son named Ethan. He's nine years old. And he's just, I mean, he's, he's a ball of energy. I love him. He's wonderful. And I remember when he was two, I was tra- we're trying to teach him how to prepare. You know, get up in the morning, you got to get dressed, and got to help him put his socks on. So he's only two, but we're still helping him. He's trying to get dressed on his own, and, and sometimes he'll come, and you know, he's got his buttons buttoned wrong. Some of you college students still have an issue with that, but, but he's got his buttons wrong way. And, um, and, and we try to teach him to prepare, and in the evening, we'll have our family time of, of devotions, and afterward, our two, two youngest, they'll go floss and they'll brush. But when Ethan was two, obviously... Um, Um, We didn't let him brush his own teeth. I would brush his teeth, and then I would hand him his toothpaste after I've washed off all the toothpaste. I'd hand him his toothbrush, and then he would continue to brush so he could practice. Practice preparing, and he loved doing that. He'd brush his teeth, and I'd put him on the ground next to the sink. And this one particular time, as I was also preparing to go to sleep, I grabbed my toothbrush, I put toothpaste on my toothbrush, and I started brushing my teeth. Only this time it was different. I noticed that everything that I was doing, I watched him in the mirror. Ethan was doing the exact same thing. I mean, following everything. And so I tested it. How good is this kid at following me? So I brushed a certain way. He brushed a certain way. I tilted my head back. He tilted his head back. I tilted my head down. He tilted his head down. I switched over to the other side, started doing some things. He followed me to a T. And then I mindlessly removed my toothbrush from my mouth and spit into the sink, and he spit onto the floor. (laughs) As I was teaching him to prepare... I said, nope, that's not part of preparation. No spitting on the floor. It's got to go in the sink. You know, preparation, though, it's a, nece- it's, a necessary, it's a necessary thing in life. You're in a season of preparation. That's the truth. And we're to be faithful in that season of preparation. Sometimes, if you're not careful, chapel can just become another thing you go to during the day. You miss the wonderful things that the Lord has for you. Hey, in this season of preparation, you make sure you take advantage of every opportunity. Every opportunity. And you're in that season of preparation. And so this morning, I want to take a look at at some things in the life of Joseph. And I want us to to look at the need for faithfulness during this season of preparation. The Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Well, you've been stewarded. You've been given an opportunity uh, to attend college. And you must steward your time wisely here at college in this season of preparation. And so I want us to take a look at the need for faithfulness during this season of preparation. Specifically, I want us to see five. Five areas of faithfulness during the season of preparation. Five areas of faithfulness that we see here in the life of Joseph during his time of preparation that are necessary in the season of preparation. Let me give you the first one, number one. I want you to notice that if you're going to be successful really in the season of preparation, number one, you need to be faithful in the petty you need to be faithful in the petty things. Now, I'm calling them the petty things because sometimes that's what we think of them as, the petty things. Sometimes we think of, of homework for classes as a petty thing, a needless thing. Sometimes we think of certain classes as petty. I just got to get that done because it's required for me to graduate. I have to get that done. And we think it's petty. And sometimes we think of room responsibilities as petty. And if we're not careful, you might get to the point where you think of soul-winning opportunities as petty. 
Well, I'm here to tell you during the season of preparation, you need to be faithful in the petty things. Look at verse 1, or look at verse 2, I'm sorry, of, of Genesis 37. Let's see how Joseph was being faithful in the petty things. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, younger than most everybody in this room. But look at how he was faithful in the petty. Was feeding the flock with his brethren. A job that nobody desired. A responsibility that nobody was, was uh, saying, hey, pick me, pick me. I want to feed the sheep. I want to feed the flocks. But he was faithful in the petty. Things that seemed to be inconsequential. Things that seemed to be no big deal. He was faithful in those petty things. And when I think about the petty things, well, let me just tell you what matters about the petty things. Here's one of them. Little things matter. Little things matter. He was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now you're in this season of preparation and you're thinking right now, oh, it's just one assignment, no big deal. I don't have to get that one done. My grade won't suffer too much if I just skip one assignment. Hey, it's just a class, no big deal. I, I'm not worried about that one and you're in this season of preparation and if you're not careful, you'll turn the little things into petty things and you'll think, I, I, don't, I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about that. I can do it tomorrow because we love procrastination, right? You ever thought about procrastination? Procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do something he already gave you time to do. That's procrastination. The arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do something he already gave you time to do. Oh, it's just one paper. I can start on it later. It's just one PT project. I can start on it later, no big deal. It's just one soul winning accountability report. I can fudge a little bit on this one. It's not a big deal, it's just one. It's just, it's just one missed responsibility. It doesn't really matter. Nobody really notices anyway, right? Nobody really notices. Hey, little things matter. Matthew 25 reminds us that the Lord is pleased when we are faithful in the little things. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Luke 19, 17. Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, thou have thou authority over ten cities. God is concerned with our faithfulness in the petty things, in the little things. Things. Why? Because little things matter. By the way, this is true of God's will. Little things matter. Sometimes we're so consumed with God's will for our life when it comes to major things, major decisions that happen years down the road or maybe months down the road, and we're so consumed with, with those things that we fail to stay faithful to his will in the little things that we know are, we are to do today. You want to be faithful in God's will tomorrow? You want to be in God's will tomorrow? Do God's will today. Do it today. You want to be in God's will tomorrow in the major things? Do God's will today in the little things. You say, what are you talking about? Read his word. Amen. Read his word. Be faithful to his house. You're so consumed with who you're going to marry that you've forgotten the little things in life that are important, that are his will. Read his word. Be faithful to his house. Tell someone about the gospel. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. They should abstain from fornication. Keep yourself pure. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, in everything give thanks. Have that spirit of gratitude. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Those are things that you don't have to pray about. Those are things that you don't have to worry about five, ten years down the road or two or three months down the road. You do those little petty things today. You do those little things today, you'll be in God's will tomorrow. Why? Because the little things matter. Be faithful in the petty, because the little things matter. But also this, when I think about petty things, not only do little things matter, location matters. And I'm not talking about real estate. But location matters. Look at uh, uh, chapter 37. I want you to look down to verse number 12 of chapter 37. The Bible says in verse 12, and his brethren, that is Joseph's brethren, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. And he said to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, just like a little brother wandering around. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, where were they supposed to be? They were supposed to be in Shechem. Where did Joseph find them? He found them in Dotham, a little more than 10, closer to 15 miles away from Shechem. And you couldn't Uber or Lyft to get there, especially when you had to bring all the flock with you. This was a major undertaking, but they were in Dothan rather than Shechem. Here's my point. They weren't where they were supposed to be. College students, you're gonna avoid a lot of heartache in life if you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Because location matters. Now you might think it's petty. It's not a big deal that I'm accountable to somebody else as to where I am. But location matters. And you need to be where God wants you to be when you're supposed to be there. You know, one positive aspect, and there aren't many, but one positive aspect of the smartphone has been accountability and location. I'm thankful that my wife always knows where I am. I'm thankful whether or not she is, but I'm thankful that my wife and I always know where Morgan is. We're thankful for that. And that accountability is important. Location matters. You have a job, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You have a curfew, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I know it's petty, I know it's little. You're thinking, I'm an adult and people are telling me when to be back in my dorm room. People are telling me when I, to go to sleep and when to wake up and all this stuff. Hey, you may think it's petty, but you be faithful in the petty because location matters. Be faithful in the petty. You have classes, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Chapel, church, Outreach, even activities, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You'll avoid a lot of heartache if you learn that lesson now. In this season of preparation, we need to be faithful in the 
things that could possibly be characterized as petty. Those little things matter. That location, it matters. But not only do we need to be faithful in the petty, number two, we need to be faithful through peril. We need to be faithful through peril. Does peril come even when we're preparing? Hello, yes. You ought to know that by now. Difficult seasons happen. Things come up. I mean, you think of the life of Joseph. We, we don't have time to go through it all, but we know what happens in the rest of chapter 37. His brothers see him coming from Shechem, where they're supposed to be to Dothan, and then they conspire against him. They're ready to kill him, and Reuben says, nope, nope, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in this pit. And, and if, you, if you read the chapter carefully, Reuben's intent was to return him to his father. But for some reason, when Reuben was away, they decided, the rest of the brothers decided to sell him to the Midianites. Well, what is that? That's peril. That's, that's hatred by his brothers. That's abuse by his brothers. That's, that's peril, isn't it? Uh, that's betrayal. Have you been there? You've been through a season, even while you're in preparation, where you feel like you've been mistreated a little bit? If you're not careful, that peril <clears throat> will fester inside you and turn to hatred and bitterness and the very things that you resent happening to you, you end up doing toward other places and people, ministries. Why? Because we didn't learn an important lesson while we were preparing. We didn't learn how to stay faithful even through peril. You think God's surprised about what you're going through? He knows. And we just need to be determined that we're going to stay faithful even through perilous times. And by the way, we, we, uh, we're very, um, we, we think of Joseph and we think, man, Joseph, just an amazing person. Joseph was like us. Joseph, 17 years old. Do you know what he was doing when he was in the pit? His, his soul was in anguish. That's what the Bible tells us in, in chapter 40, 42, verse 21. His soul was in anguish. In fact, his brothers, when he was in front of, uh, when, they, when they were in Egypt and, and they were in front of their brother Joseph, they started talking to each other and they said, hey, this is, we have this coming. We didn't do anything with Joseph when his soul was in anguish and we heard it when he was in the pit. So you can imagine a 17-year-old brother just pleading with his older brothers, hey guys, come on. Enough's enough. Get me out of here. Come on, guys. Come on. It's been a long time. I don't have any water down there. I don't even. Hey, guys, come on. And they can hear the anguish of his soul and they do nothing. Hey, hey, you know what? Joseph stayed faithful through all the peril. Even in the season of preparation. Think about everything that he went through. D don't you think that maybe... Maybe if somebody had a reason to be a recovering fundamentalist, maybe it was Joseph. But man, he was faithful through the peril. He was faithful. Now, I want to encourage you, college students, during this time of preparation, you make sure that you stay faithful through, in those petty things. You make sure you stay faithful through the perilous times. But let, me know, let me show you another one, number three. Faithful in the petty things, faithful to the peril. Number three, faithful in purity. Faithful in purity. Go over to chapter 39. 
faithful impurity. The Bible says in verse 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, and an Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. By the way, if you study the life of Joseph, that phrase, the Lord is with Joseph, is, is, is in there many times. That's what happens when you're faithful, by the way. The Lord is with you. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand, and Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put in his, into his hand, and it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Hey, who's being blessed for your sake? You know, other people can be blessed for your sake. Joseph just stayed faithful, and you know what happened? Potiphar's house was blessed for his sake. But the whole, the, the Lord said that uh, his house was blessed for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Notice that, and in the field. A lot of times, crops was a measure of, of um, monetary riches. Verse six, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Hey, when I think about being faithful in purity, you better stay faithful in monetary purity. Monetary purity. Right now, helping the church out right now. Because one of their members who was elected a treasurer stealing funds from the church. And we're going to get there in a moment, but when we think about purity, we always think about moral purity, but I'm going to tell you, monetary purity, that'll mess up your ministry if you're impure with finances. And I'm not talking about just ministry finances, I'm talking about personal finances as well. We have a responsibility during this season of preparation, listen now, to be faithful in purity, and I'm talking about monetary purity College students, make sure that you're diligently working so that you can pay what you're supposed to pay. Be just in your dealings. Have integrity. Joseph, no matter what his situation was, he was a man of integrity. He was monetarily pure. He didn't steal from his employer. His employer gave him charge over everything. In fact, his employer didn't know what he had. Joseph knew everything that the employer had, that Potiphar had, but the Potiphar didn't know. The Bible says all Potiphar knew was that he, he, had, he had bread in front of him when it was time to eat. Joseph could have been robbing Potiphar blind. But he had monetary purity. He had monetary purity. And can I just tell you, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, be faithful in purity when it comes to finances. Faithful impurity, monetary purity, and then we see in the next several verses, moral purity. He's faithful in purity when he's in this season of, of you know what, he's growing up fast, isn't he? He's prepare, pre preparing fast for what the Lord has for him in the future. He doesn't even know what the Lord has for him in the future. He doesn't even know what to pray for about with regard to what the Lord has for him in the future. He doesn't have many options. He's a slave to Potiphar's house. 
And not only do we see monetary purity, we see moral purity because we know what happens. Potiphar's wife presses him day after day, day after day to commit sin with him. He says, and let me tell you, it's very evident that he's faithful to God here because how can I do this great sin? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so there's moral purity that is at the forefront of Joseph's heart and in the forefront of his mind. Be pure in your thought life. Be pure in your social media dealings, your electronic life, physical life. Be pure. It's not worth it. It brings shame. It brings reproach. It brings a hindrance to you being further used in the ministry for Christ. It hinders relationships. It's not worth it. You know, when you stay morally pure, you get to live that life of peace, not anxious about who's going to find out next, what's going to happen next. You don't forfeit the power of God. The Lord is with you. You get the presence of God. When you stay morally pure, so cause to be faithful in purity. Faithful in the petty things. Faithful through peril. Faithful in purity, both monetary and moral. Let me give you another one. Number four, be faithful through problems. Faithful through problems. I'd say being accused of something you didn't do is a problem. Joseph could have run to his own defense. Joseph could have said, Potiphar, I did not do this. Potiphar, your wife's a liar. She's lying about all this. In fact, she's pressed on me daily to, to do this tremendous wickedness, and I kept saying no, and I kept saying no, till finally she snatched me up by my coat, and I left my coat in her hand and got out of there because I didn't want to do this, Potiphar. She's wrongfully accusing me. Only we don't see any record of that. You know what we see record of? We just see record of faithfulness through this problem of wrongful accusation. Through this problem of wrongful accusation. I grew up on the island of Guam. And I remember one time I was sitting next to, we were in, I was in fifth grade. And I was sitting next to a student that's a big school there, open enrollment school, and I was sitting next to a student that's another church student. And we were taking a verse quiz. And I looked over there, and literally this student was doing this. And, and literally copying straight from her Bible. And I looked over there. I had finished, and I looked over there, and I just kind of stared at her. She looked over at me and saw that I saw her doing that. After the quiz, we were going to go to recess. She went right to Mr. Weller, and she said this statement. She said, I saw Lloyd cheating on the verse quiz. Talk about getting beat to the punch. <laughs> so Mr. Weller calls me up and says, Lloyd, you've been accused of cheating on the verse quiz. I said, Mr. Weller, I didn't, I didn't cheat. It wasn't me. I didn't do that. And he said, uh, would you mind quoting the verse for me right now? I said, I don't mind at all, Mr. Weller. And I quoted the verse. And I didn't ask him to do it, but he looked at this other lady, this young lady, and said, would you mind quoting the verse for me right now? And she couldn't do it. Vindication! <laughs> That's wisdom from a fifth grade teacher right there. 
So you know what? You can be wrongfully accused of something and get all mad and bitter. And you allow it to affect your, affect your faithfulness. Think about what would have happened had Joseph said, I'm done with this. Faithfulness to God doesn't pay off. It's not worth it. Now I'm being wrongfully accused. That wrongful accusation leads to wrongful affliction as he's thrown into prison. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're thinking, I'm going through this affliction right now because I've been wrongfully accused and I can't endure this anymore. I want to just quit. I want to be done with this. Hey, be faithful through the wrongful accusation and the resulting affliction. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. Faithful through problems. And then let me give you a fifth one. Faithful when passed up. Stay faithful when you're passed up. We remember what happens in chapter 40 when the butler and the baker, when the butler and the baker, when they come to prison, that was an exciting time, I'm just telling you right now. How'd you like to give that news? The butler and the baker have the dream, and it's Joseph's turn, and the interpretation is going to come from God, and he, he tells the baker, read it, by the way. Joseph's not interested in um, glossing over the interpretation of the dream. He says, yeah, um, about the whole thing with the birds and all that, Pharaoh's going to cut your head off. You're going to be dead in three days. I mean, couldn't you soften the blow a little bit, Joseph? By the way, don't be an ugly preacher, but don't be ashamed of the gospel either. The gospel is offensive at times because nobody wants to hear that they're on their way to hell. But it's not our responsibility to gloss over the message of the gospel. We deliver it the way it was delivered to us. Joseph delivered the message of the baker. What he said was going to happen, happened. The butler, same thing. The butler goes back to, the, to, to, to Pharaoh's house. And, and before he left, remember, Joseph said, hey, don't forget about me, man. Remember what I did for you. We're bros, man. Help me out. He goes back to Pharaoh's house. And you know what he does? Forgets. What kind of a butler forgets? That their job is to remember. But he forgets. Two years, he's passed up. Two years, he's forgotten. Hey, stay faithful when you're passed up. I should have gotten that promotion. I should have gotten that position. I should have gotten that preaching opportunity. I should have gotten that ministry opportunity. Wait. Trust God enough to be faithful when it seems you've been passed up and forgotten. Trust him enough to be faithful even when it seems like you've been forgotten when you've been passed up and these are necessary areas of faithfulness during the season of preparation but I have a question for you what if Joseph would have quit what if he would have said it's not worth it to be faithful you know what's interesting in the two passages that we read at the beginning of the message do you know how long the season of preparation that we looked at today, from the time that he was feeding his father's flock with his brethren to the time that he stood before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream? You know how many years it was? The Bible says he was 17 when he was feeding the flock and his brothers sold him to, to, to the Midianites in Genesis 37. And then the Bible says in, that he was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. 
he was 30. No, I'm not a math major, but I believe that's 13 years. 13 years. You know what's interesting is that some of you are in year 13 of your preparation. In fact, there are a lot of churches that refer to your first year out of high school as the 13th year. Give your 13th year to God. Just give him one year. Let him work on your heart. Maybe just go to Bible college for one year. One year and just see what the Lord does. And so out of a fulfillment of obligation, some of you are here today at West Coast Baptist College fulfilling that 13th year. Hey, can I ask you a question? What would have happened if Joseph would have stopped at year 13? What if he would have just said enough's enough? And he would have stopped. And he would have stopped being faithful. What would have happened? I fulfilled my obligation. But what would Joseph have missed had his faithfulness stopped at year 13? You know what he would have missed? He would have missed seven years of plenty. Seven years of plenty. He would have missed um, the season of plenty. He would have missed the season of provision during the seven years of famine. And talk about, man, we think, I love the seven years of plenty, but you know how wonderful it is to see God provide during famine? He would have missed the season of plenty. He would have missed the season of provision during those seven years of famine. He would have missed the season of providential reconciliation with his brothers. He would have missed it. Had he stopped at year 13, he would have missed it. If he said, faithfulness isn't worth it, I've been going and I've been going, and there's nothing here. If he would have stopped, he would have missed all those things. The season of providential reconciliation with his brothers. He would have missed the season of being in the presence of his father again. He would have missed it. We see that in Genesis 46 through 49. He would have missed a season of prolonged fellowship with his family again. Not just reconciliation with his brothers, but that prolonged fellowship. He had an additional almost 70 years with his family. Why? Because he didn't quit at year 13. He didn't quit. He would have missed a season, and this is really how his life ends. He would have missed a season of proving his faith. Proving his faith in God's promises to his progeny. He would miss that season. Remember his final instruction? They're in Egypt. Remember his final instruction? Hey, we've got a land that's been promised to great-grandfather Abraham. Grandfather Isaac. Father Jacob. We've got a land that's been promised. And I know that God keeps his promises. And so when it's time for us to get back to the promised land, you dig up my old bones and take them with you. He would have missed that season of proving his faith in God's promises to his progeny. Why? Because he stopped being faithful at year 13. 13's not an obligatory year. 13's a year to determine to stay faithful. Maybe you're here right now and you are a freshman and you're thinking, I can't wait till this semester's over because I've fulfilled my obligation. Wait a second. Why are we going to sell God short? You, you, have, you may have no clearer direction from what Lord, for what the Lord wants you to do after a year than you did when you got here. Don't stop now. 
Stay faithful. Say, well, I, I fulfilled my responsibility. I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm getting ready to finish my master's. I'm getting ready. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa. Uh, faithfulness doesn't stop when you get your diploma. That's right. Amen. You stay faithful. You stay faithful. Don't stop being faithful just because your preparation may be winding down. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Don't miss the wonderful things that God has for you because you stopped too soon.